the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Guyra back with End Time Insights. Good to have you listening. I appreciate it very much. God has called us during the season to warn the church about the dangers out there and the dangers within. And today we want to talk to you about 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've got the first four verses, 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I've got them all scattered in my notes here. Let's see if I can get organized. But you've probably heard it before. Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is getting ready to go home, be with Jesus, his Lord. Hallelujah. And so he wants to leave Timothy with a charge, a very solemn charge. And as I'm going to read you this first verse, understand the language it's in. It's written in. There's like four or five. There's actually like nine imperatives in the first couple of verses. And literally, this gives the picture of Paul having Timothy grabs him by the shirt front and brings him close to him face to face. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Well, there's more to that, but I want to stop there. This will take a couple of minutes here. But once again, this is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. He's getting ready to go be with Jesus. And he's got a charge from God, and he's going to give it to Timothy, and it's serious business. This is Paul's final instructions to Timothy. Don't forget, Timothy at this time was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And let's see, who else is at Ephesus? I think um, Mary might be there at this time. Uh, John's going to wind up over there also. But this is Timothy now, and this is a specific charge from Paul to Timothy and to us also. He gives son Timothy a solemn, a holy, a divinely witnessed charge. I charge thee, therefore, before God. He's in the presence of God. God is my witness. Timothy, I'm giving you instructions. I am charging you. It's like they're in the courts of heaven, and God is there. I charge thee before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is God there, Jesus is there. And then he lets him know Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. I love the fact that he includes the lordship of Jesus. He includes the assignment of Jesus, our Messiah. Notice the word, therefore. I charge thee, therefore, before God. Paul is telling Timothy, because of everything I spoke to you about in Second Timothy chapter 3, That's why I'm giving you this charge. And if you remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's where he talks about in these last days, men would be lovers of themselves. There would be covenant breakers. There was like 19 indictments that Paul wrote. 
against end-time mankind. And he says, because this is the behavior of mankind, and, and by the way, those 19 indictments, they start with men will be lovers of themselves, and then it ends with having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And that behavior, it's not the world's behavior. He's talking about people in the church because the world doesn't have a form of godliness. Only the church does. And so that indictment against end-time mankind is against end-time churchgoers. And so Paul says, therefore, because you know this, right? I'm charging you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is giving this charge to Timothy based on the instructions and the condemnation of mankind that he gave him in chapter 3 because of everything that's going to happen, he says. That is why I am giving you this charge. And it's not just before God, the Father of light, the master of the universe. It's also given in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is spoken of here. The Lordship over everything that he ever created, his universe, his earth, his people. Paul reminds Timothy just who is in charge. And if that wasn't enough, Paul throws in the title of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Yes, everything has fallen. Earth is dying. Mankind is self-destruction. The church is in disarray. But it's Christ and Christ alone who has the ability to restore everything. You know, I read something the other day that, uh, you know, America is pretty much done. God is done with America. Mankind has rejected God and God has no choice but to respond accordingly. And so we've got elections coming up again. And it's like are the two political parties, they're fighting over the corpse. And it's interesting because he is the God of resurrection, as he revealed to the church at Smyrna. So there is hope, not that hope that America is going to be restored now, but that there is a potential for resurrection, but it's going to take national repentance. And I don't see that happening. The Bible doesn't say that it happens. But as long as we have breath, the world and America is never without hope. But understand, we have got to do a 180 concerning church teaching. We have got to do a 180 concerning church behavior in order to even have any, any, any substance to that hope. So it's, it's an exciting time, but it's a perilous time indeed, as Timothy received from Paul. The Lordship of Jesus is given here. This is his earth, and he's just letting, Paul is letting Timothy know that you're living in this day, this time, and I'm in the midst of that. I'm going to give you a solemn charge, what I expect you to do. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. At his appearing, that's an interesting word. Paul chose it because he knew that Timothy knew what it meant. Jesus is returning. He's the returning conqueror. I charge you, says Paul, by his appearing. The word is epiphania. Epiphania was used in two special ways. It was used for the manifest intervention of some type of God in the Roman culture. And it was especially used in reference with the Roman emperor coming into town. His ascension to the throne was the epineia. That's how it would be used. And in particular, and this is the background of Paul's thought here, it was used to describe a visit by a leader, an emperor, a god, to a specific region. Obviously, when the emperor was due to visit any place, everything was put in perfect order. The streets were swept and garnished, and all work was brought up to date so that the town might be fit for the epineia of the emperor. Well, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You know what happens when any town is expecting 
uh, the visit, the epiphania of the emperor, you are expecting the epiphania of Jesus Christ. Do your work in such a way that all things will be ready whenever he appears. And that's the basis of the charge that he gave to Timothy. That's very, very deep. The Christian should so order one's life that in any moment he is ready for the coming of Christ, for the epiphania of Christ. Paul isn't just assigning Timothy a task, man to man, father to son. He is reminding him of the seriousness of the task that he's given him. It's divine. It's the divine implications of the task of the power behind the assignment, uh, who, by the way, is also the ultimate judge of everything that's revealed also. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. That warning is included in the charge, if as if Timothy needed uh, further impetus. You know, he's sitting there and he's saying, I'm representing God. I'm giving you this charge in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, uh, who's coming back, and he's coming back to judge. And go, wow. You know, I mean, I think Timothy's kind of got the idea of what God wants him to do here. This assignment has the approval and the sanction and the blessing and is at the behest of divine authority. In the following couple of verses, Paul tells Timothy, and he tells us, he tells him why we preach. He tells us what to preach. He tells us when to preach, and he tells us how to preach it. First, Timothy, why we preach. We preach because here Paul announces Jesus as the soon coming judge. The verb is literally means is about to. It implies the urgency of the task, which is missing in the church today, by the way, guys. The day is soon coming when Christ will return. He came the first time as the suffering Savior, the sacrificial lamb to redeem us from our sins. But when he comes back the second time, he's coming as the sovereign king to put down all rebellion and to judge the living and the dead. That was paraphrased from Brother Stephen Cole. So why we preach? We preach because Christ is coming. You know, any church worth its salt needs to be preaching about the second coming. We need to let men know that, hey, you know, salvation is not optional here, man. If you reject the sacrifice that Jesus paid on your behalf, if the fact that he took your sins to hell so you don't have to go, if you reject that, then your portion will be hell. Oh, by the way, he's returning very soon, not to bless us. He's returning very soon to judge us. And that needs to add an urgency to what we say. That's the why. What does he preach? Quite simply, Timothy, preach the word. Another translation, herald forth the word. Preach the gospel. You know, this is a celebratory type of phrase here. You are preaching the word. It's a divine mandate, but we're announcing the good news. We are proclaiming the God's grace to the people. We are announcing that, hey, man, yes, you've rejected me. Yes, you've sinned, but hallelujah in my love for you. Uh, Jesus Christ has paid all of that, and you can have newness of life. You can spend eternity with us. But you've got to understand, he did that because you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Receive the grace of God. Repent of your sins. And Jesus says you must be born again. Hallelujah. This is Timothy's life assignment. Preach the word. Preach Jesus. There were no further descriptions. There was no embellishments to this preach mandate. There were no restrictions to it. There were no conditions to follow. There were no circumstances that would prevent Timothy from doing his task. Simply stated, preach the word. Simply received, preach the word Simply done. Preach the word. Preach the word. Nothing else. If you can find it in the Bible, preach it. The Holy Spirit isn't required to manifest or confirm anything else, but he will confirm his word with signs and wonders following. Preach the word, Timothy. Don't add to it. Don't change it. Don't leave anything out. 
Famous preachers think they know better. They think they can do a better job than what's been written. Galatians 1 says that they are not God's servants. If someone denies the sinless life of Christ, he's not a servant of God. If someone denies Christ died for your sin, they are not his servants either. If someone refuses to talk about sin, they are not the servants of God. Genesis 1, 9 through 10 talks about this. As we said before, so say I now again, says Paul, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that you have received, let him be accursed. Look at that. Paul pronounces a curse about people who change the gospel. For do I now persuade men, or do I persuade God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Those that preach a different gospel because of the fear of man, the Bible says, they are not servants of Christ at all. The urgency which Paul encouraged Timothy is missing from our churches. There are few warnings that are given of Christ's soon return. In our pulpits, we fail to do that. When his purpose isn't to bless us, it's to judge us. I get it. It's not popular. You don't fill your pews by telling people God's coming back to judge you. You fill your pews by telling them, hey, God wants to bless you. Well, they both go together. You can't do one without the other. That kind of preaching must return to our pulpits where we tell them the whole gospel. If we're going to ask God to resurrect our fallen nation, we better get it right. Next up, when do we preach the gospel? Pretty basic. Be instant in season and out of season, Paul writes to Timothy. Be quick to do it. Don't think about doing it. Do it. In whatever situation you find yourself in, Preach the word of God. Preach the word when it's convenient. Preach the word when it's popular. Preach the word when it's not convenient. Preach the word when it's unpopular. I want you to preach the word, all of it, the good news, the bad news aspect of it, where we are judged by God. It's so important that we quit changing the gospel, that we quit leaving parts of the gospel out. You cannot do that and think that you're representing God in heaven. You're doing mankind a disservice. Then, the last one, how do we preach the Word of God? This is great. Uh, who was this? This might have been Brother Stephen Cole. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Biblical preaching should show people where their lives are not in line with God's truth. Do you get that? Biblical preaching should show people where they're missing it, where they're sinning. That's the whole idea, not to condemn people for their sin, but to get people right with God because their sins have been forgiven. Let me repeat that. Biblical preaching should show people where their lives are not in line with God's truth, and then to help them to make the necessary corrections to obey that truth consistently. To do this, a preacher must make an appeal to the reason of the people who are listening. Reprove. This is a legal term that means to present your case as a preacher in such a manner as to convince your opponent that he's wrong. A preacher must present his case in a logically convincing manner from the Word. You use the Word of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict people by what I say. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to convict people. God knew how they would respond. He knew what they needed. There's no way you and me could convince people that they could be sinning and win them to Christ. He wrote it down for us. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to figure it out. Preach the word. Let the word of God do the work and the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin. It's a perfect plan. It's a simple plan. It's a divine plan. It's the only plan. Preach the word. Uh, where am I? A preacher must present his case in a logical, convincing manner using the word. 
so that his hearers are persuaded that what Scripture says is right, even though their behavior is wrong. Reprove, to convince, to persuade. It carries with it no sense of authority. It's used to convince men not only of the truth of religion, but also it's used to convince men of their need for religion. It is used to make the case for truth. The church has failed in its mission to present the urgency of their need for salvation. There must be urgency to our preaching. We can no longer just sleepwalk through our church services. Pastors refusing to tell men and women that they're sinners, and it's that sin that separates him from God and will keep him separate until he repents and seeks God's compromises. When they do that, it compromises the listener's ability to respond to the gospel message. It's dangerous. Refusing to talk about sin brings a casualness into man's sinful state and removes any sense of guilt or future. The Holy Spirit's task is to reprove the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He does this largely through spirit-filled biblical preaching. That's reproving. Second, the preacher must make an appeal to the conscience of the hearers. That's called rebuke. This moral aspect of preaching says, you are sinning against God, you need to repent. It comes with judgment upon it. We tend not to like that sort of preaching, but it is desperately needed in our day of watered-down, feel-good Christianity. Rebuke. In the New Testament, the word is used to express a judgment of what is wrong or what is contrary to one's will, and hence to admonish them and to reprove them. It implies our conviction that there is something evil with your life, some fault in you, and I've noticed it, and I'm rebuking you. I am challenging you. I am not debating you as I might try to teach you about the Scriptures in a reproof, but no, I am letting you know that that sin will condemn you. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts them. The word in this verse rendered, in the above verse, reprove before, it does not carry any authority to it, okay? It's just like a teacher teaching in a lesson. But here, uh, rebuke is stronger, and it's like a superior speaking to someone under his authority. And it is like giving a command. I love the book by Edwin Lewis called Maximize Manhood. You may have heard about it, but he does a great job. He says, men, I'm not asking you to repent. I am commanding you to repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of your sexual impurity. Repent of ungodly thoughts. Repent of failing to serve your wife and your family. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what a rebuke does. It it doesn't reason or argue. It just convinces you are wrong. Yes, I am judging you, and I am telling you, you need to repent. William Barclay, a wonderful old-time gospel preacher. Oh, this is amazing. Any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. That's some heavy stuff here, you know. If you refuse to talk about sin, William Barclay says, hey, you're a menace. You're a menace to Christianity. You're a menace to the entire community of man. I mean, that's how seriously a fault they find with preachers that won't talk about sin in their churches. Thirdly, a preacher must make an appeal to the will and emotions of the hearers. He must exhort them. That word means to strongly encourage someone towards that right behavior. Some people need rebuke, some people need reproof, and some people need encouragement. If you encourage those who need rebuking, you assist them to go on sinning. But if you rebuke those who need encouragement, you'll discourage them. Let me say that again. If you encourage someone who needs rebuking, All you've done is assist them in their sinning. 
enabling, we call it in the world. But if you rebuke those who need encouragement, you discourage them in that behavior. Someone has said that the preacher's job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. (laughs) Only the Holy Spirit can take the word and apply it individually to a congregation made up of all sorts of needs. We've got to learn to trust the Holy Spirit of God. An important side note here from Calvin, reproof and rebuke must always rest in sound doctrine, and they must always be presented from a sound, restful, peaceful heart. You're not doing this in anger. You're not antagonistic. You're not shouting and pounding. You're loving these people. They've got to be able to sense the fact that, A, yes, you're speaking for God, and yes, he's loving you in the midst of rebuke. This is where today's church in America falls far short. Both reproof and rebuke, when done properly, carry the conviction of the Holy Spirit with them. The instructions to Timothy came right along. This is important. The instructions to Timothy to rebuke and reprove and encourage, exhort. These instructions to Timothy came right along with the preach the word mandate and were part of the divine charge to Timothy and us. The American church has failed God miserably in these last days due to a failure to judge within. We are not holy, we are not pure, we are not healthy, and we definitely have little discernment, even failing to know the difference between right and wrong, which is why we are such easy prey for the false teacher, the false preacher, and the false prophet. So did you get that? Just as the strength behind preach the word from Paul to Timothy, so too is that same strength, that same charge, that same divine mandate to reprove and rebuke and encourage. It all goes together. It was a mandate from Paul to Timothy. It's a mandate from Paul to you and me also. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who? The church. The time will come when people in the church will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And of course, right on cue, Paul comes in warning Timothy prophetically of what's going to happen. This is a prophetic word. You understand that? As strong a prophecy in Isaiah, where he talked about that unto us a child is born when he prophesied about the birth of the Messiah, so too does this carry the same strength. He's speaking prophetically. There's going to come a time when people in church will not listen to the truth. They will not endure it. They will not stand up to it. But after their own carnal lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Let me tell you something, folks. You don't need lots of teachers. You don't need to be running around to teacher, to teacher, to teacher, being carried about by every wind of doctrine. This teacher says that. This teacher says this. You can't be doing that. There's so many false doctrines out there. You need to find yourself one or two, maybe three at the most good Bible teachers and listen to them, and stay with them, and support them, and pray for them. But you've got to put yourself under ministries that are speaking the truth. Even with Timothy preaching the word, this is going to happen. Uh, Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're going to get lustful. They're going to add teachers. They're going to run around all over the place, heaping teachers to themselves. Even though you're preaching the word, don't be discouraged. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. You know, it's not like you're going to go into this blind. Not everyone gets saved. Not everyone allows reproof and rebuke and suffers it willingly. But Paul didn't tell Timothy, only preach the word where it works. Preach the word. Same to us. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Understand this. There is no less a powerful prophetic word when Isaiah prophesied about the birth of Christ. And they will not endure sound doctrine. That's written. It's going to happen. 
It's part of the great apostasy. Endure sound doctrine. In the Greek, it really means healthy doctrine, helpful doctrine, doctrine contributing to the health of the soul or to salvation. And the word endure, it is used to mean to hold up to, to stand up to something. The idea behind it is that one is playing defense, the word being under assault, under attack by all that's false. Calvin, first, let us learn from it that the most extraordinary The eagerness of wicked men to despise the doctrine of Christ, the more zealous should godly ministers be to defend it, and the more strenuous should be their efforts to preserve it in its entirety. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. It's important that we understand that the gospel, the truth, they're all under assault. Uh, within the church, that's where the most of the danger comes from. The world doesn't doesn't care about rebuking and trying to make the gospel false. It's only the false teachers in the church that do that. And once again, Calvin says, the greater the assault upon truth, the greater the defense on truth needs to be. You stand up for truth, saint of God. You defend it. You preach it where? Everywhere. When? All the time. How? By rebuking, reproving, and encouraging. I'm Ron Guy. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.